When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithleday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? Good. Looks like uh, there was a couple uh, teasers we had lately that kind of like came true. So getting uh, hyped to talk about that. Yeah, pretty prescient. Um uh, Oregon had its uh, uh, early signing day uh, yesterday. We're recording this on uh, on on Thursday night. Um, Kevin wrote that up, so we'll talk about it with Kevin uh, the next time we record. Um, and uh, we'll be doing some ongoing coverage on the site. Uh, uh, you know, we're we're gonna uh, break that up and and talk about sort of the different position groups. Um, uh, but you, uh, uh, kind of wisely, uh, uh, pointed out that Oregon may wind up with the second bite of the apple of Dante Moore and it wound up coming true. Um, but before, uh, you uh, wrote that you, you've been writing about, uh, some basketball. So let's start out there. Um, uh, the, the men's basketball team was in, uh, Sioux Falls, um, as part of a tournament, uh, Although I, I didn't really catch what the what the tournament was or why they were in Sioux Falls, did you? Um, <clears throat> from what uh, from what I can gather, it was just kind of like an invitational for uh, just to get uh, some television spots. It wasn't necessarily kind of like a, a big uh, tournament where the winner gets some sort of trophy or something. So mm. I think it was just just for TV spots and uh, viewing purposes. Uh, so they took on Syracuse. Um, the injuries are really piling up uh, for the Ducks. Um, 
you know, they're basically out, uh, not exactly who their five starters would be, but they are now down like basically an entire starting lineup. Um, you know, they're out in Volley Dante and Nate Biddle. They're out Jesse Zarzuela. Um, they're out Mookie Cook. Um, and, uh, 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 and, and, Bartholomew is out, and, and and Hisham Bartholomew, yeah. right? And uh, you know, uh, Jackson Self said, uh, you know, probably would be starting. Uh, uh, I think even if everybody were healthy, um, and uh, but who knows? Like, but I sort of feel like everybody else, you know, even guys that we're familiar with seeing probably wouldn't be starters for for this team, like uh, you know Jermaine Cousinard, uh, for example, um, and, and Brendan Rigsby. Um, uh, uh, you know, we've been seeing Kwame Evans, you know, as a true freshman, although he too has been sort of fighting, a, a, you know, an, an injury. He got sort of dinged up um, a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it, like basically was watching, you know, this team play a for real basketball team. You know, I, I don't think Syracuse is like a killer team or anything, but like they're a for real basketball team. Yeah. And it was essentially like Oregon playing the bench and true freshmen, you know, against them. And yeah. uh, so yeah. it, it went it went about as well as as people think it would it would go. Um, I yeah. think one of the uh, at least maybe the more frustrating thing was that was the terrible shooting percentage. Uh, that yeah. was something that had plagued Oregon a lot the last couple seasons, and something we had uh, you know lamented about quite a bit. And it, it, it seemed to have resolved itself in, in majority of the games so far this year, but it kind of reared its ugly head again against Syracuse. Um, I mean, health, like I said, it's just, it's, it's tough. Um, if fans can just be patient, I really think this team will be better for it uh, with all these, these freshmen and bench players getting all these minutes right now. Um, at least we got a, um, a, an update from Dana uh, today, luckily, uh, where he said that he expects uh, Dante and Cook back um, sometime within the next couple couple weeks or so. So he he was eyeing you know kind of like early to mid January for the return of those two. And um, you know I think once you get to the point where you you know you get Bartholomew back, you get Biddle back, you you know and and then you're you're kind of primed in, in February or whatnot to make one of those, uh, you know, classic Dana Altman late season runs. But right now it's going to be kind of a frustrating period. Right now it's going to be just kind of like you're really going to have to take it with a grain of salt. And I think one of the good things is, is we're seeing how well uh, Kwame Evans and Jackson Chelstad have been playing in the increased minutes they've been getting. I mean, like, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, the, the, the two of them, you know, had 17 16 points you know respectively um and, and honestly you know like you know guys like Brandon Rigsby and Jermaine Cousinard who I think are reliable enough bench players you know will reliably chip in you know a certain amount of points it's just like when your bench becomes your starters the problem is the, the guys that you go to for relief, like who your bench is, 
is now like walk-ons you know yeah. like you, you oh, yeah. essentially have like no relief or, or like just like totally unreliable relief um you know so either you can't rotate if you get in foul trouble or you just like can't count on them for you know scoring at all you know which is basically yeah. the case um just or like floor pretty much yeah, or or at least it's like really curtailed. So like or, Oregon started in this game, you know, the fifth guy that they started was uh, Diawara, who's I don't know, he's a bit of a hot and cold player. Anyway, he he only wound up playing about half the game. Um, you know, the the rest of his minutes were sort of taken up by you know Jadrian Tracy in Cario Oquendo. Oquendo is like maybe the most hot and cold player that I've like ever seen play for the Ducks. Like the dude will go, yeah. you know, back and forth, you know, between scoring like no points and scoring double digits. Um he's, he's this, kind of a Will Richardson 2.0. Yeah. Uh, this was one of his double digits game, although almost all of his points came uh, from the free throw line, Yeah, which is, you know, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, Jadrian Tracy wound up playing like 30 minutes on the floor, you know, jacked up five, three point attempts and missed all of them, you know? Yeah. So it's like, man, uh, you know, that, that that's, you know, J a fully healthy Oregon team is probably, you know, Jadrian Tracy's number of minutes is probably not 30. It's probably closer to zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so it's like, you know, I don't want to make a whole lot of excuses for the team. It's just like, that's sort of the, 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 the nature of what it is. And when they're playing against, like, when they're playing against a real team, like, like Syracuse is just like that has a real defense and can like identify mm -hmm. weaknesses and stuff. Yeah. Like for example, the fact that Oregon doesn't really have a big, and so it's like, they just sort of sag off on, onto the guards. Like, yeah. You know, which, yeah. 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 It's health is it's, it's always, it's seemingly been an issue for the past couple of years with this year is just kind of like, unlike anything I've seen. Um, yeah. We we did get the news earlier this week that uh, Zarzuela is out for the entire season. Yeah, <laughs> so that uh, that sucks. Um, like I said, the the update on Dante, who had a, a little bit of like a knee surgery, and uh, Cook, who had an ankle surgery off season. <clears throat> Diagnosis on them, like I said, is the good thing is they'll be back sooner or later. Bartholomew, um, uh, he did update it was it was not uh, surgical uh necessary yeah. injury but it was a, a pretty severe ankle injury so they just said that you know he's out for the foreseeable future uh usually if you you know you have a high ankle sprain or something like that especially in the sport like basketball uh it's it, it is something that's generally going to take like six weeks to recover from uh to the point where you can be effectively playing again uh so i wouldn't necessarily expect to see bartholomew maybe in january but the good thing is we'll see cook and dante and um biddle um had the the wrist surgery but that was in november so it's already you know been a significant amount of time uh no update from dana altman yet on him so i will of course uh reiterate it once i get an update on biddle yeah the um well and then getting a little bit ahead of ourselves you know uh, oregon opens up conference play next week but like they've got a little time to get healthy because 
you know, w- w- when we first saw the conference calendar and that Oregon's first three games were going to be USC, UCLA, and Oregon State, it was like, oh man, the LA schools are loaded with talent in a rivalry game. Like, how's that yeah. going to, you know, uh oh. But then, like, oh my God, you know, the LA schools they're, have been stinking it up and Oregon yeah, State is on the bottom of the they're conference. Ter- they're terrible it's teams. Like, luckily, it's so. like, you know, even a shorthanded Oregon might make quick work. <laughs> yeah. No, so, but anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's for the future. You know, they've got a little time to get healthy. You know, I, I do, you know, the silver lining to, to playing with this many injuries and to getting this much experience for young players and, and, uh, and sort of, you know, learning to play with one hand tied behind your back is like, Hey man, when, when they get the guys, you know, back, uh, who, who they're expecting to get back, like, you know, they'll probably be stronger for it. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. There, I mean, there's a couple things that are, you know, probably learn, you know, like shell shell stat, for example, is obviously, you know, pretty young player. So like he's two for 10 from beyond the arc, right. In, in this game against Syracuse. And not all of that comes from the way that Syracuse is defending him. He's just like, he's uh, like, uh, it was a bad know, sh- it was just a terrible shooting game it was just yeah and, and uh uh you know uh and then the other thing was that just the turnovers in this game were just sort of embarrassing oh like, yeah you know oregon turned it over like 19 times and yeah. it, and it wasn't like just one player with a bad handle you know either first of all it was like every player uh was giving it up and second of all like it was like it would like ran the gamut, you know, it, it, you know, it was getting the ball stolen. It was double dribbles. It was, you know, it, it was just like stupid, you know, yeah. just dumb stuff, you know, un, un, like, unforced turnover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, get it out of your system. I, I guess. I mean, you know, they had in, in their, in their couple losses that they had done, they had played, you know, a close game, <laughs> And I guess, like I said, you know, you know, unless you're just like a truly elite team, you're always going to be in line for a butt whooping at some point, you know, down the line. So, you know, maybe it's like you said, it's just this this under under staff team that couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for a night. It just kind of had to had to roll with the punches against Syracuse. But, uh, you know, give give credit to the Orange. They just kind of took advantage of what they had and. Hence was the result. Well, the other thing that's like, that's just sort of tough about, uh, you you know, playing a team like this is that like Syracuse did have their bigs who were functional and and like, you know, so just Syracuse just dominated in terms of the points in the paint. And it was like, it was just really like normally even, even when Oregon sort of, you know, their hands are cold, like Altman knows how to recognize that and just sort of cranks it up on defense and, are, mm-hmm. and is like, well, well, we can still win this way. Yeah. You know, make it a low scoring defense, you know, type of game, get them in foul trouble and we can still hit from the free throw line. Yeah. Um, but you're missing and, your rim protectors. That's right. The- exactly. <laughs> like they couldn't do that. And so it's like, you know, go if you, if you look at the box score, you know, like Syracuse has, you know, multiple bigs who are just like, you know, they're, they're, they're shooting quote unquote, you know, they're, which is really just like the big guys laying it up, 
you know, in quotes, yeah. you know, uh, you, you know, at like 80% because like they don't have, you know, Oregon doesn't have any like, you know, big, you know, anybody to counter that, you know? Yeah. Like, not, 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 not a true five, at least, you know? Yeah. Evans has been holding his own inside as a, as a forward, but. Yeah. Sure, but like even then, as a true freshman, like you know that he's probably a year of of time in the weight room away from being able to really right. assert himself physically. Yeah. Um, so, but again, you know. that you know that just kind of plays into this is this is good you know experience for these young freshmen and stuff because uh, we don't we don't know yet how how Mookie Cook's going to play uh, once he gets there. Will he be a one and done? Not sure. It just depends on how well he plays. When you're when you're looking at Evans and Shellstad, you're, you're pretty much seeing that yeah, no, these are not going to be one and done guys. But that's good for Oregon because that means that these guys are going to continue to develop. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's been a perverse thing in college basketball that you sort of like, you hope your young players don't do that well. So that they stick around, (laughs) you know, uh, well, uh, the monkey's paw curls, um, (laughs) um, uh, the the one thing that's the, a lot of what happened in this game was sort of like, yeah, you know, I know, you know, because, because of the injuries, the one thing that sort of jumped at me from the advanced box score was the fast break points where, you know, I did sort of figure like I, I was sort of figuring that Oregon would have sort of an advantage here because it's an athletic team there. They don't have, you know, bigs on the floor. And, you know, I figured that they'd have, you know, an advantage there in fast break points. It said it was the other way around, you know, yeah. Syrac- Syracuse, you know, was it was 17 to seven, you know, with Syracuse having 10 more fast break points. What, you know, Adam, what did you think that was about? Like, you that, was, that, that was, that was the turnovers. It was, yeah. kind of like you said, just un- un- unforced turnovers, silly, silly turnovers. Turnovers are going to lead to fast break points, period, in basketball. There's just – there's no other way around it, you know. If you're if you're losing the ball unexpectedly without, you know, ha- having a, to give up a defensive rebound or whatnot, that's always going to give the other team an opportunity to run. And so, like I, like I said before, Syracuse just kind of like – they took what they were given and they, they did with it what they did. So, you know, if Oregon was going to continue to – turn it over before they could get inside the inside the three point line. Well, then you have, you know, like half the distance back to the basket and, you know, Syracuse was just running and gunning. Yeah. It's just that that's true. That's true to an extent. It's just that most of Syracuse came in the first quarter and most of Oregon's like stupid turnovers or excuse me, the, the first half and most of Oregon's stupid turnovers were in the second half. Like, like the, the really embarrassing ones, like, yeah, like the, I don't know, man, but it, it was, just, it really felt like in, in the first half, Oregon had a hard time, like, you know, getting back and getting set up on defense. Like, and I felt like that sort of like got under control a lot more in the second half. And it was yeah. sort of just, I don't know. I feel like this was probably it, it was weird because like they had already played Michigan mm-hmm. and beat them, you know, on their home court. And so I was sort of thinking like, well, you know, Syracuse is not the first real team that they've played. Yeah. Um, Michigan and, was. 
Yeah, exactly. And I was sort of like, that's the, that was the, the hard part. You know, I was like, I, I couldn't figure out why they gave, you know, Michigan a real run for their money, whereas Syracuse kind of like had their way with them. Because yeah. I don't really think that Syracuse is a better team than Michigan. In no, fact, they're not. Oregon just, they just shot so terribly against Syracuse, I think. And you think then, it's just cold hands? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, like you said, though, the, I guess the good thing is, is that you saw that Altman has always been a great in-game adjustment coach and he was able to make the adjustment on that transition defense which was yeah yeah really slacking there in the first half but uh yeah no it's just it's the shooting percentage you can't shoot that poorly you can't shoot 14 percent from three and expect to be in a game against any decent power five team it's just not gonna happen yeah all right let's take a break uh we come back we'll talk about the kent state game I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, so we were recording uh, a few hours after Oregon finished up uh, uh, beating the snot out of Kent State. Um, they, I, I believe they led the entire game. Um, it was a fairly comfortable lead the entire time. At one point, Kent State, I think, got within four. Um, although, I don't know, it wasn't really in doubt. You know, Oregon just had sort of a significant athletic advantage, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, over the golden flashes. Um the uh uh you know the the not a whole lot to say about you know Oregon's defensive performance uh you know just to get it out of the way you know Oregon you know completely shut Kent State down in terms of points in the paint or, or almost completely you know they only got about you know 14 points uh you know in the paint only four layups um only one dunk um um oregon was basically getting it done without fouling although eh, they did actually foul a little bit um uh uh, they were letting um they they let a bench player time uh freeman uh uh sort of run wild a little bit which is which was unexpected like he had basically not accomplished anything in any other game he sort of like got hot in this game, yeah. um, which appeared to be like a unexpected and b not part of the defensive game plan. Um, yeah. the, uh, the hot shooting that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily on Oregon's D, uh, with, with all those three pointers that, uh, Kent state made in the second half to pull back within single digits and kind of like get back into it. Uh, that, that majority of those I saw were contested. 
You know what yeah. I mean? I think I think out of all of them, only only one was maybe like a wide open three. Yeah, it was just they were just, just yeah I, from the three point. Yeah, line. yeah, and I mean like it's they, they shot better from beyond the three point arc than they did you know from the floor overall, which usually just means like you know the the just size you know, advantages too much. Yeah. Or, or just the Holy Spirit got into him. I mean, <laughs> you know, just like whenever you see that, that, you know, that that usually just means, oh, the team just sort of went off, you know, right. and there's it, it doesn't really have anything to do with the way that the defense is playing defense. It's just like, oh, you know, like sometimes yeah. teams just do that. They they, they play out of their mind for a minute. Um, you know, I, other than that, like, I don't really have anything to say about the defensive performance like no it was it was fine um i think that the one thing that i was pleased to see was that um even when you know kent state switched the momentum like that that oregon just kind of you know what i mean like just stayed the course and just was like you know what though we're the you know we're the better team so we can get this done and especially um i like what kuznard was doing because um they started to go cold there early in the first half uh, not hitting their open threes and everything like that. And I think it was uh, Kuznard particularly was kind of just taking it upon himself to be like, you know what, I've got a bigger, stronger, more athletic body than the majority of these guys, and I'm just going to attack the basket. There's nothing they can do about it. And I, I saw that multiple times where he just kind of put his head down, barreled inside, and got to the basket because it was just like, these guys aren't going to stop me from doing this. And if you're not hitting those shots, then that's the thing to do. And I know that was something we talked plenty about you know the last couple seasons well yeah i mean like oregon's three-point shooting in this game was i mean oh my god (laughs) it was so bad (laughs) like it yeah in fact i think they were i think they were skunked in the second half yeah beyond the arc like i think they were 0 for 11 beyond the arc in the second half which is just like it's a big concern especially heading into conference play I'm not yeah, really no. sure. I mean, just like, just... like, like, like Rigsby's 0 for 4, you know, Kuznard 1 for 7, Kwame Evans 0 for 3, Oquendo 3 for 8. Like, and you I know, that, you know that Kuznard and Rigsby can shoot. They've already yeah. shown that. So, yeah. And they're in, it's not like they were intimidated by an unfriendly crowd, you know? No, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so I'm not sure. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's a concern for sure. The shooting has to has to improve if Oregon doesn't want to have like a real rough start to the conference. But like yeah. I said, we're, we're just we're fortunate enough that we're not facing the good conference teams until a little later when we yeah. can you know be healthy and ready for it. But the shooting, my goodness, yeah, that's that's got to be turned up several. Or just or, or Kent State was like the monsters. You know, they just like stole their three point. Yeah, you know, for a night. Um, <laughs> seemed like it, but like, but you're anyway, but you're right, like, y- you know, uh, and it wasn't just Kuznard, but like, yeah, it was Kuznard, like, just sort of responded, like, what, yeah, okay, we're not making the three pointers, let's just take it inside because, like, Oregon, you know, they really dominated the points in the paint, um, you know, they, they, they really took it inside, um. And, uh, yeah, Kuznard, you know, led all scorers with 27. He's 11 for 20 from the floor. Um, yeah, actually, multiple players are, are above 50% um, from the floor. You know, Quendo was, too. Like, uh, again, you know, Quendo, the most hot and 
cool dude in the world like 20 points tonight yeah um (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) i know uh you know jadron tracy chips in 10 you know thanks buddy um uh, you know uh but you know really the guy you know and then like kwame evans who's sort of like in it like he officially starts the game but then he only you know he 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 winds up playing like you know only 32 minutes so you know he sits out a bit because like oh god is he is he hurt what's going on um uh uh you know well yeah i I think everybody (laughs) watching the game was just like no, 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 no. You, you have to be joking me with this yeah. one. But fortunately, he popped back up and each yeah, time right. he fell down and was seemed to be okay. But like they're hitting their free throws, which good, you know. Um, uh, uh, in fact, uh, like, you know, I think exactly a quarter of Oregon's points in this game came from the charity stripe, which is... That's good because that was a problem they had the last couple of years too was shooting from the free throw line. Uh, Yes, that uh, number one. Yes, absolutely. Um, That their free throw percentage is high and high across the board. It's not like, you know, one guy's unconscious, which is making up for, you know, somebody else or that it's just one dude who's just just hogging all of them. No, it's like the entire team, you know, like the the entire team has somewhere between two and 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 four, you know, uh, or five, you know, free throw uh, points. Uh, So, yay. But like the other thing, arguably the more important thing, is they're all getting fouled, meaning yeah. they're all taking it to the iron. Yes. And like, you know, I don't know, maybe I sounded like a broken record over the last couple of years, but like, take it to the iron. Like, well, this is... I mean, we complained about that so much because it was such a such a simple solution to their shooting woes. <laughs> well. And it's just like basic game theory, you know, like basketball is in many ways a solved problem. Like that when the analytics, you know, took over and just like quit, you know, knock it off with the low percentage 20 foot jumpers, like take it to the iron. You You are more, you are more likely to make a shot from right under the basket or from the free throw line than you are from 20, 25 feet out. Right. And also you have a chance of a three point play and you put your opponent in foul trouble, which affects their, you know, rotation and affects the way that they play defense. It's just like, oh, my God, get fouled like like the meta to it is so obvious like it's bonkers <laughs> like how, how did it t- how did it take you people like the existence of this game plus 80 years to figure this out like <laughs> anyway um the uh, uh, like it should have been obvious since the game is being played in peach baskets like anyway the uh anyway they were taking it to the iron getting fouled and then making their free throws which like yes do that thank you yes. um that, that'll uh, need to continue next week for sure if they're if they're gonna start the uh conference slate with a winning record yeah um uh uh so yeah like you know brennan rigsby does his typical brennan rigsby thing which is c- contributes four points all, all from the free throw line like he couldn't make a of uh a, a three-pointer to save his life um yeah which is very know. strange considering yeah. the way he shot it in previous games 
uh, uh, but you know, contributed five rebounds, you know, two assists, you know, he's just, I don't know. He's kind of a glue guy off the bench, except now he has to be a starter, you know? Yeah. And um, I think maybe that's messing with his head a little bit. Um, that's, that's my only guess because when he was what, like, he's on the bench, floor too much. Uh, yeah. Or maybe just the pressure of being a starter, mm. you know, I don't know because just when he was coming off the bench, he looked like a different animal. At least to me. I mean, to me, like, I, I guess the real, I mean, the takeaway for me is I, I think that Jackson Shellstad is probably just straight up a starter. You know, oh, like if, if the team is fully healthy, is just yeah. straight up a starter. And so he he's the guy, anyway. like, he's I the was... guy I have all the eyes for during this, you know, this period in time. And like, yeah. So yeah, his you know he's got a plus minus of fifteen for his thirty eight minutes on the floor. He contributes four steals, five assists. Uh, you know, hits every one of his free throws. Shoots five for eleven from the floor. Contributes fifteen points. Like, oh, yeah. no, okay, good, good. Like yeah, all of this yeah. is like, just like yeah. He, you know, I was, I was very high on that kid. Uh, dating back quite and he's a, a true freshman yeah. you know yeah was, you know what i mean i i was he was going to prom a, six months i was ago. even saying back you know like a year and a half before he even took the floor in oregon that he that he was going to probably be a starter as a freshman like i yeah. said I, I just he he just has that command of the offense that that cool hand that cool head that just exactly what you want from a from a, a floor general from a point guard i mean like uh, i i'm not gonna get too hyperbolic you know especially because i can just look at the stats uh and like like anybody who says at at it, the following statement is not true uh jackson sell stat right now is a better and more valuable point guard than will richardson as a senior that is a false statement like you can look at box scores it's not true yeah. uh jackson Selstat, the way that he wants to play and what his trajectory is given that he's a true freshman right now and what will richardson was turning in as a senior and as a starter for like like the better part of a decade under Dana Altman. Um, well, I don't, I don't, there's no question in my mind that Jackson, Jackson Selshad's trajectory is to be in a better place than Will Richardson is by the end of this year. Yeah. And I mean, here's another thing too, that, you know, maybe, maybe people have overlooked or forgotten about Jackson Shellstad in this current stage this early is playing at a at obviously a higher level than Peyton Pritchard was playing at that stage. I mean, mm, at, oh, at, you mean when Peyton Pritchard was when a Peyton freshman? Pritchard was a freshman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, I don't think. Well, he's yeah. <laughs> I mean, upperclassman Peyton Pritchard, the upperclassman Peyton Pritchard was a whole different story, but sure. I'm just saying like the upperclassman you know. Peyton Pritchard was the mayor of Seattle. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm not comparing him to that, but I'm just saying as a, as a true freshman, as an 18 year old at a Westland high school, then yeah. 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 He's playing at a higher level than, than, than PP was at this age. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little football. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So, for the second straight week, you got your wish. I <laughs> maybe you should you should wish for some more transfers. Uh, uh, um, honestly, a- honestly, I'm just uh, attempting to do my part as a journalist by following wire reports, and so yeah, the the, the reports like much like they had they had uh, listed uh, Gabriel's interest in Oregon. So had they also listed Moore's uh, interest in Oregon and the fact that he was uh, most likely taking a visit to Eugene last week. Um, just, you know what I mean? Put, putting all the pieces together, it wasn't too difficult to see him coming back. Um, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's always a, a plus when you can nab a guy that literally is ready to spend a year as a backup and is, is kind of just like getting off his high horse and being like, okay, so maybe I do need some time to grow. Maybe I need some time to develop. And you're doing that behind, you know, another, you know, fifth, fifth year senior, six year senior. I'm not sure exactly what Gabriel is, but he's, you know, he's, he's a senior senior in every sense. He is of- a senior. This yeah. will be his sixth year playing football. Although yeah. uh, 2020 didn't count and he got injured after playing three games in 2021. So that was his redshirt year. So that's why he still has a year of eligibility left. Yeah. But he has been Oklahoma's starter the last couple of years. So you're uh, correct. Yeah. You're, you're, you're looking at a guy that knows what the hell he's doing versus mm-hmm. a guy that, was kind of forced into action and didn't really know what the hell he was doing. And now well, taking a step back and, but I, I did want to pick your brain a little bit because there has hmm. been uh, mixed reception among uh, fans of the, of the site and even on the staff about him, about more coming back. There has been definitely, you know, mixed reviews. A lot of people are just kind of like the hell with this guy. He spurned us before. What do we need him for? Um, I've been kind of neutral on him. I've been just kind of, you know, like, you know what? If he wants to be here, then sure, you know, give him another shot. Here's the thing that I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, though, because you had constantly noted how you thought that, you know, of of the young uh, quarterback recruits that he had maybe one of the highest ceilings. And so hopefully we can get in a little bit to maybe some of that, some of the reasons for that for the casual viewer outside that may be like, well, why does he have such a high ceiling? Look what he did at UCLA or didn't do at UCLA. Well, the reason that I, okay. First of all, just cause you brought it up. Uh, let me first address the, like the, well, he spurned Oregon. So, you know, Oregon should shun him stuff. I think you can probably guess, you know, what my <laughs> attitude is towards such, uh, sentiments. I, those are sentiments. Um, yeah. sentimentality has uh, no place in, in winning football or really, um, any form of winning. Um, the, 
the uh, the reason why um, I think that Dante Moore is a national championship potential quarterback has to do with watching his throwing motion. Um, and if you, I mean, if you just watch his tape in high school or now in college, it, his base is so quiet. It is, it, I've, I've never seen a base that quiet with that much uh, power and authority, you know, uh, on the throw. Um, so when I'm, what I mean by that is his lower body, like, so most quarterbacks to generate power, um, and you do this biomechanically, whether you're th uh, throwing um, a baseball or you're throwing a punch, um, your power comes from your legs. Like you need to step into it. Like think about, you know, when Nolan Ryan or some pitcher, you know, is is throwing a 120 mile an hour fastball. Like think about what their windup is, where they pick their left leg way up if they're a righty. That you know, way up. They're I mean, their toe is at their nose, man. Right. Yes. And then they come, they slam it down and they rotate their entire body. And then you know, by the time they've released their pitch, their right leg is up above their head head right yeah. like mm -hmm. that's a loud base right yeah dante moore is about as opposite of that as you can get like watch the way like go go find his huddle film or just go watch some you know highlights of him on you they're not just put dante moore into your search engine you know <laughs> There's plenty and of just, highlights of the kids and just just don't don't look at where the football is winding up just look at his body when he's throwing and look at his legs he doesn't like i mean he steps into his throw but he's not there's no violence to it at all it's like it's like he's taken a, a little stroll in the pocket it's just you know pitter pat pitter pat hmm. and and it's like and what that means is his release is instantaneous like and the uh, right because he doesn't have to do a wind up Right. Yeah. And, it, and it means the amount of space that he needs to work with in the pocket is microscopic. Yes. Um, it means that he doesn't give away where the throw is going to be with, you know, how he needs to rotate his hips. Um, like it means that he can do really advanced quarterback stuff like looking off the safety, you know, because he doesn't need to have his hips ex precisely pointed where he needs to throw and, and so give it away. Like that's, a, that's something the coaches talk about all the times that your feet can't lie. You know, your eyes can lie, your hip, your, your shoulders can lie, your feet can't lie. Well, his feet can lie. Yeah. And, and so like all of the like it is now so everything about that means that he has the capability to do things that are just you know absolutely elite yeah. and what what like no other quarterback can do now um 
in terms of you know manipulating defenses taking advantage of defenses he needs a small amount of pocket space he needs a small amount of time you know in order to to throw he can select anywhere you know on the field he can make the throw with power and accuracy you know and quickly and without a huge wind up all of these are just absolutely invaluable skills as a pocket passer um and you're not going to find anywhere else um you know that those are super valuable things now having like those physical gifts is like maybe one quarter of the puzzle um to to actually like performing you know as a quarterback uh you know it it it, it, and and not you know if you don't have like like there's i don't know like maybe nine different things you need to have in order for you to be an elite quarterback and if you are missing any one of those check marks then you're a clipboard holder in the nfl like um and so it's like the fact that you can get really excited about somebody you know because the stuff that they do check off they check in like the thickest darkest sharpie you've ever seen like that doesn't mean that they also check off the other things you know so like i don't you know don't automatically get you know excited because of that you know all of that still requires development so stuff like you know processing the field um you know mentally uh stuff like not you know panicking under pressure um stuff like uh, you, you know, um, uh, you know, not, not, uh, uh, sensing phantom pressure, um, uh, you know, a bunch of the other sort of ephemeral leadership, uh, uh, qualities, like all of these sort of need to be developed. It's generally why it's a bad idea to start true freshman quarterbacks. Um, yeah. it's especially why it's, you know, why people are rightly concerned about like damaging the development development of players by throwing them into offenses before they are ready, especially bad offenses or offenses that are like mismatches for their skill sets, which is what I was trying to tell everybody six months ago when I was writing my UCLA preview in which I was saying that like Chip Kelly doesn't know how to use a pocket passer. I spent five years, no joke, five years with Chip Kelly and Dorian Thompson Robinson trying to tell everyone, including Chris Osgood, the film reviewer Bruin report online, which we had some pretty like not knockdown drag outs or anything. Cause we're good friends, but like, you know, we would have disagreements. <laughs> we would we we would have disagreements about the nature and structure of Chip Kelly's, you know, passing offense or maybe not the nature of it but the wisdom of it um in, uh, in which and and lots of people wouldn't I don't know. Lots of people had a hard time recognizing this, even as Chris was publishing article after article every week documenting it in great detail, yeah. albeit behind a paywall bro um in, in which like chip kelly's offense is not a five read no. you know it's not air coriel man like it's not stand in the pocket and go one two three four five no definitely not it's his, his offense is all, is all predicated around read option it's well there's that but it's yeah. also 
even when it's not that, even when it's like stand in the pocket and pass, it's a, and I always have to be careful when I say this because like um, UCLA fans would lose their shit about it because they would think I was trying to talk trash about Dorian Thompson Robinson, which is absolutely not trying to do uh, like fans have this like real like hypersensitivity to any suggestion that their quarterback would not thrive in a what they believe to be the classical NFL offense, which is like making three different logical errors. Um, now I, I'm not interested in like psychoanalyzing fans. So like, if you really want to rewind the podcast and, and suss out those logical errors for extra credit, you may do so reader or listener. Um, I'll, I'll just say, I am not trying to cast aspersions on Dorian Thompson Robinson by saying that I will merely say, however, that Chip Kelly's offense was about, was instead, instead of being structured as, you know, stand in the pocket and go one, two, three, four, five down your path passing progressions it was entirely designed for there to be one maybe two actual live reads and what the other three or four quote-unquote passing options were in the pattern were not actually live they were just decoys their entire purpose was to run around in the field on a specific way in order to like get the defensive structure you know either out of the way or uh, a a pre-connection or post-connection so that the dude would then who did catch the ball would be able to run for extra yards which is why he kept putting tight ends in the nfl because they would have like, oh my God, look at all the yards that this this tight end had. Well, it's because the tight end would be wide open and then would then have like 30 yards of grass ahead of him because Chip Kelly yeah. would design the passing pattern to be that way. It wasn't because it was a dominant tight end. No. You morons. Like, watch some <laughs> film. Like and it's and it's why like he would we, never go we, to we, outside we. receivers because the outside receivers are about the talent yeah. to beat the quarterback cornerback and the QB you know delivering you know the perfect ball to them you know that Chip Kelly wasn't interested in that Chip Kelly yeah. was interested in showing off his genius about like well I've manipulated the defense so that this little you know this little uh, uh, you know Pats type receiver uh, you know this Julian Edelman type will be, you know, wide open, catch the ball on a five yard route and then be able to, you know, run or Y cross. I'm going to run Y cross about a billion times, you know, like, you know, is that sort of stuff. And here's the other thing. If Chip Chelly's genius somehow, somehow failed and the one dude who was actually designed to be open on that route was not, in fact, open on that route because heavens to Murgatroyd, Chip Kelly's genius failed, which <laughs> guess what, listener, that happened on like 50% of plays because he's not the genius he thinks he is. <laughs> well, Option number two on that play is Dorian. You were the most athletically gifted player of the 22 human beings on the field right now. Go get it with your legs. Yeah. And so 
that's what I kept saying when I was like, Chip Kelly doesn't know how to use a pocket passer because Dante Moore, you know, while I'm very enamored with his pocket passing skills or his ceiling anyway, uh, he's not that guy. Like he's not Marcus Mariota. He's not Dorian Thompson Robinson. He's not, you know, he's not even Colin Schley. Um, well, I mean, it, that was, we, we, we knew that. We knew that from Chip Kelly's first year in Eugene, yeah. for God's sake. As soon as he didn't have Dixon, as soon as he didn't have that mobile quarterback that can go yeah. get it with his legs, all of a sudden we were up shit creek without a paddle. Right. So, so it's like, so, and then on top of that, and then on top of that, like, he, he's just, like, completely blown it in, in the offensive line. So his offensive, like, I mean, I... I just read my preview article about UCLA from back in June. I detailed all of it. A hundred percent of it came true. Like he just blew it. Okay. Just like take my word for it. If you haven't read that article. Cause like, yeah, it don't make me recapitulate the entire article. I, I, I got it right. Uh, the like, and so like, you know what a pocket passer needs, Adam, a pocket, a pocket. <laughs> yeah. would be nice. So like, so like you've got a pocket passer who's not going to run for an offense that needs the quarterback to run and you're not going to provide him a pocket either. And he's a true freshman. And, uh, yeah, you didn't go get him. Um, uh, yeah. Like the, you know, the protection that he needs. And it's just like, what did you think was going to end? And you didn't have any better quarterbacks around him for him to like learn from. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> so like, yeah, this like come to Oregon where he can, you know, sit and learn for a while. And then when he does take over, he'll have a good offensive line. and He'll have a lot of talent around him for dudes to throw it to. And he'll have an offense yeah. that'll be designed to maximize his talents. Like, so, so for anybody who's looking at Dante Moore's, uh, you know, statistical production at UCLA, and saying like, oh, this kid's a bust, boo, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I don't want this guy. Like, I mean, look, I can't guarantee that he won't be a bust. People, like, uh, I mean, people, people th- like that's the- a possibility, man. Like the rule of thirds, like the, the, that it, it is definitely it is 100 percent a possibility. Like I, I would rate it, you know, maybe, you know, somewhere between 30 to 40 percent odds that he's a bust. Like it's it's entirely possible. People, like, in, the, people in the SEC thought Bo Nix was a bust at Auburn. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, the it, it's just that like you 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 definitely you cannot make that assertion definitively from from the data you have at UCLA the the amount of extenuating circumstances are as long as my arm and yes the Bonix comparison is very apt like you know all the things that we saw about what was wrong at at, at Auburn where. They didn't have a line. They didn't have a system that fit him. They didn't have, you know, they had lousy offensive coordinators. They had, uh, you know, lousy protection. Uh, You know, they put too much on him to win, you know, the game by himself. And, 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 you know, like, yeah. And and then like you, 
you know, you take him to a system in which, you know, he, he can thrive and he does like, yeah, you know, probably pretty apt. You know, the other thing that was sort of crazy uh, about the way that Chip Kelly used him was then in a bunch of games, just like, you know, he sort of like insist in, you know, Dante Moore, other than the non-conference in which like they played a bunch of cupcakes, he basically plays four conference games. He plays against, you know, Utah in which like, you know, because the offensive line sucks so bad, they, they're not able to establish the run game. And so Utah just like can pin their ears back. And so it's just like, it's like sack city, man. Well, and, yeah. and like Utah, Utah already had like a top tier defense anyway. So, yeah. yeah. So like, that's what goes on in that game. Um, but then what's really what's frustrating is the other, you know, bunch of games it, like, you know, they, they, they won against Wazoo all, although the game was decided by eight points and um and Dante Moore's stat line is not great it's tw- he's 22 44 but here's the thing like they there was absolutely no reason in that game for him to be passing the ball 44 times with the way that UCLA's defense was playing the fact that UCLA was playing like a bonkers hurry up uh uh offense in which they st- i mean they they passed the ball 44 times and they rushed the ball 53 times. Like they snapped the ball so much. Like there was no point in it. Wazoo's defense couldn't do anything to stop them. Like they, uh, like they, they, you know, when you, when, when you pull the, you know, the, the quarterback stuff out of it, like Keegan Jones was averaging 15 yards a carry in that game. Like Carson Steele was averaging five yards a carry on 30 carries in that game. Like that, like they, you know, they should have slowed the, like the way that their defense was playing against Wazoo, they should have just slowed the game down, run the ball and had Dante Moore just like throw the occasional pass, you know, instead of having him throw the ball 44 flipping times, like that was ridiculous. (laughs) Like, it's and almost then, the uh, the polar opposite of what what I always lamented about Ty Thompson never getting to throw the ball. I'd say all they do is put him in and have him hand off. Well, it was the other way around with Moore. They had him throw it way too much. Right. They just that was the thing about like Dante Moore at UCLA was that like they it, it kept it was so nuts how much they were having him throw the ball that it's like, you know, a lot of the like intercept, you know, so he has sort of an interception problem. A lot of it was because Chip Kelly was just like, go out there and throw the ball too much kid. And it was just like, it was so, it was so dumb. Like, Oh, so if I sound like I'm like, like, like way too into this because I had to watch this team too much. Like it was weirdly UCLA kept playing teams right before Oregon or like two or three weeks before Oregon would play that team. So they played Utah like a couple weeks before Oregon played Utah. They played Wazoo like two weeks before Oregon played Wazoo. They played Oregon State a few weeks before Oregon played Oregon State, right? So like I kept having to watch you know this uh and i kept like smack sp- you know smacking my head against the the wall the the oregon state game was the one that like really drove me up the wall because oregon state is so vulnerable to rushing and like that they like it was absolutely nuts they were murdering uh oregon state 
on the ground. And then like there was an entire drive where all they did was run the ball and every carry was for like 15 yards and they would score a touchdown. And then, and then they were just like, nah, I'm sick of running. Uh, uh, you know, now, now for just like some just ridiculous, excessive passing. And, uh, I was just, oh my God, I, I, I man, I, I should probably like just cut myself off. It was, they, they also played against Cal and just the stupidest game you've ever seen. Um, uh, and, uh, just, oh my God, it was so dumb. Like anyway, and again, you know, Cal is vulnerable to efficiency runs. So what does Chip Kelly do? He has, uh, Dante Moore throw the ball 38 times, like, <laughs> You know, even though his running backs are averaging, you know, uh, close to five yards a carry, he has, you know, Dante Moore, uh, uh, throw, you know, his running backs are averaging you know, close to five yards a carry. He has them run the ball 22 times. He has Dante Moore throw the ball 38 times. Like yeah. somehow I don't you see moron, that like, somehow I don't see that happening under Lanning. It's just like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, it, you know, like every week after games or, or, you know, it wouldn't happen immediately afterwards. It would happen a couple of weeks afterwards because that's when would be when I was reviewing the game for the purposes of watching the opponent because Oregon didn't play UCLA. I would contact Chris and be like, hey, man, do you think that Chip Kelly was trying to get fired, uh, uh, you know, in his strategy against this game? Uh, against this team and he was like man there are a lot of ucla fans who who thought he was trying to get fired this entire year <laughs> you know so that he could like you know t take the buyout you know and just yeah. retire <laughs> yeah. i was just like there were so many that's this has all been you know to the point of you know extenuating circumstances about dante Moore is that like i cannot i i cannot i can't even with chip kelly this year with how stupid his strategies were and i haven't even talked about the red zone oh my okay oh my god so oregon's gonna play ucla next year i'm gonna write an article uh you know about ucla i will just i'll just save it you know just <laughs> all my dumping on chip kelly for then instead of now um because I'll be able to, I'll be more articulate and I'll be able to put in video evidence and statistical evidence and I won't just be just furious. But it was so, like, I, like, I'm, I was so close to putting on the tinfoil hat and being like Chip Kelly's trying to get fired. Like it was, it was so dumb. So, so for people who are like, I am convinced that Dante Moore is a bust because his statistical production as a true freshman and Chip Kelly, offensive genius, uh, 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 you know, uh, like erroneous, that is erroneous. I, I cannot guarantee that the, the contrary, that he, he isn't a bust. Um, but, but, but you, you can't conclude that he is like, you really can't. The extenuating circumstances are, are many and ponderous. Uh, and his upside is incredible. So, 
There you go. So, yeah. And he doesn't have to be the A plan. You know, obviously, Dylan Gabriel is the A plan. Hell, he doesn't even have to be the B plan because, you know, they will, they also have. Uh, uh, Austin Nova said yeah. and Luke Moga like he could be the D plan for all we know like it's fine <laughs> like he's worth taking the flyer on like yeah and and especially over the fact that he he realizes that he needs to take a step back and learn that's always that's always a good thing to see from the young kids uh uh yeah uh, I mean, like, it, it's certainly irrational, you know. It was the first time I think I've, I've seen someone very notable in the transfer portal transfer somewhere where they knew they weren't going to be the starter. That's an interesting point. And I, or at least a quarterback anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah that's an interesting point. Uh, a quarterback actually deliberately transferring in order to redshirt and learn. Yeah. That you're right. That may be unprecedented. I, I, I haven't thought I about haven't that. <laughs> huh. It's it's a good sign, I think. It it probably has happened at some other level. We just weren't paying attention, but like that's an interesting point. Um I mean, certainly I, I like the way that the quarterback room is layered. Um it should be noted. I think I said this in a different podcast that that like the, the Dylan Gabriel's, you know, has gotten every year in his career has gotten some minor dings, you know, and and mm -hmm. his his has not taken every single snap. So you will almost certainly see the the you know the primary backup quarterback at Oregon taking meaningful reps during yeah. 2024. Which is so good. having him being a high talent, experienced guy, which I, you know, my money would be on Dante Moore being that guy. Most likely, yeah, because he's and, and I mean he started in meaningful games. And stuff. Yeah, I mean he started seven guys, seven games at the Power Five level. You know, I'll, I'll like, tell you what, spring ball is going to be fun to watch this year. <laughs> yeah, it should be. Uh, that's a good. That's a good stopping point. I'll, I'll wrap it up there. You got any uh, parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? Okay, so yes, we are zero and three against Washington our last three games. Oh, but uh, here's 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 something just to cheer up Duck fans before we sign off, real yeah. quick. Um, after National Signing Day, Oregon is ranked uh, sixth nationally in their recruiting class. Washington thirty sixth. Uh, yeah. And, and depending on, uh, on, on how exactly you do it, whether you use the composite or two, four, seven itself, whether you include or exclude transfers, if you go by just two, four, seven and not the, uh, composite. And if you just go by recruits and, uh, and not, uh, you know, recruits plus transfers, uh, Oregon is number three. Mm -hmm. with the addition of Jericho Johnson, uh, uh, which happened this evening, um, uh, which is pretty, uh, you know, pretty amazing. Uh, I, I must say, um, and, uh, uh, you know, the other thing that's, uh, uh, interesting about that, I gotta, I gotta roll down pretty far. Yeah. 36, three and 36, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> feels, feels good. Doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, look, man, th th 
that I mean, it's interesting, I, I, I guess, you know, in that, you know, Washington is one of the teams, you know, but that's moving over to the to the Big Ten. Oregon's, the, you know, number one in the Big Ten, um, and, you know, and and people sort of thought, well, you know, Oregon is coming with, you know, other teams that will also be challenging. But like, given the way that USC and UCLA, you know, were shaping up and, and like, given what Washington is losing and then just sort of has failed to replace them with like it's kind of looking like Oregon in 2024 you know it is it for the additions that will be really challenging and I mean the reason for that is that like Oregon is like you know every time you know on, on Twitter or whatever that I see Oregon like you know, Oregon fans or whatever will, will, or, or Oregon writers or whatever will get up and talk about, Hey, Oregon had a really good recruiting class. They're setting up, you know, pretty nicely for the future. You will get like snide Washington folks will be like, yeah, but, but they lost, you know, it, it like, first of all, like, do y'all not understand how linear time works? Yeah. You know, like, yes, of course, the 2024 let him, let, recruiting let him, class didn't have, help them in 2023. Yeah. Like, but let second, him, let of them all, have their year or two of glory here. I'm sure soon enough we'll be back into that thing where we beat them for a decade straight or something. <laughs> it's happened before. The, it's happened before already. The thing is, Adam, like you know, why I, I don't really engage in that stuff. I'm sort of like, I'm not real wild about closing the podcast with your assertion on that matter is that like, <laughs> that's for Washington fans to do. Yeah. You know, Washington fans compare themselves to Oregon. True. Oregon compares itself to Alabama yeah and georgia and ohio state because like those are the types of programs you know that it, it it's it's Recruiting building it. itself yeah. to be you know like the way the way that it wants to recruit, the way that it wants to, to to build its recruiting infrastructure and its pipeline so that it's not like it, you know, it's it's not just all built with, you know, transfer patchwork, you know, uh, you, you know, the tires not just made out of duct tape, the, the tires made of rubber, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State don't build their classes out of the portal. You know, th those yeah. are programs, you know, they don't say stuff like, oh, you know, recruiting doesn't matter. We have an offensive genius for a coach and, and we own the transfer portal. Like, <laughs> you know, th those are the types of programs that Oregon is is modeling itself, you know, after and trying to be and and compare themselves to, and, and, you know, and, and measure themselves against Washington compares itself to Oregon like Oregon. You know, so whenever, you know, somebody says like, hey, look how much better Oregon is doing from Washington, I'm just like. Does that need to be pointed out? <laughs> Expect they're, they're not even trying. All right. That'll do it for us this week. Uh, the, the, this is the shortest day of the year that we're recording on, um, which means 
uh, the days only get longer from here. Uh, yeah, and it only gets sunnier. <laughs> and it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>